Well, turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew, the 13th chapter. I was told sometime back, don't let Wesley Jackson have a microphone if you want it back. (laughs) I'm going to be nice. He's going to have it tonight, so I'm going to be nice. But I have, haven't you enjoyed his preaching? Amen. I, pre, I enjoy, and I appreciate the burden, Brother Jackson. I appreciate um, the want to you're putting in this. God knows that uh, <clears throat> Sister Parker and myself have prayed many prayers. And, um, and, you know, the Bible said we are laborers together, that one man plants and another waters, but God gives the increase. And so we know. We know all about that, Uh, and it's good to be reminded. But thank God for men that are hungry, that can just come in out of uh, the south, out of Louisiana, Arkansas, wherever he calls, Texas, southeast Texas, Willie's Hill or something like that, Fred, Texas. Someone else told me it was. Fred was the big town. He didn't even live in Fred. He lived in, like, Willie's Hill or Moles Hill or something. What was it? Tell us. Huh? Caney Head. There you go. See, he didn't break down that far and tell you about Caney Head, but Sister Parker and I were born and raised very near Cottonwood Road. And uh, you just have to be from Bakersfield, California to know about Cottonwood Road. But uh, Cottonwood Road... um, well, let me tell you quickly like this. <clears throat> when I was a freshman in high school, a man that worked for my dad lived um, just a couple blocks from Cottonwood Road, and he was on Cottonwood Road on a Saturday afternoon and had bought a box of green-cut beans. He had worked for my dad for 18 years, dragging brush, never had a driver's license, and uh, <clears throat> I never saw him drive a car or a truck, and he worked for my dad for over 20 years, but at 18 years, uh, he had set a box of green-cut beans on the hood of, a, of another man's car, and he came out of the store with a bottle or whatever, and the green beans were taken. These are uncut, just freshly picked green beans. They were taken off of the hood and put in the back seat of the car, and he said, where are my green beans? And the guy driving the car said, they're my green beans now. Somebody left them on my car. And uh, so he said, no, they're mine. He just paid 50 cents for them. So the guy in the car said, well, I'll give you a dollar for them. And he said, no, they're my green beans. And the guy started to get out of his car. And my dad's faithful employee pulled a 38 out and shot him through the neck and killed him. Over a 50-cent box of green beans on Cottonwood Road. And um, that was a stone's throw and a hop, skip, and jump from our house about a half mile from where we lived. And he came to our house at dark, about 9 or 10 o'clock. I don't think I've ever told this story, have I? And he called me to the back door, and he said, Here, Jess, take my gun and hide it. I don't want to tell your dad, but I just killed the guy. And don't tell anybody you have the gun. And so a 13-year-old boy, I went and hid it in a haystack, and it was three weeks later that the detective showed up at our school and said, We need to talk to Jesse Parker. 
my history teacher, Mr. Lathrop, said, right there. And he had that look to it, right there. Like, get him out of here. <laughs> and these uh, men in suits had come to our high school and walked right in my class. And they took me out in the hall and they said, we understand you know where the gun is. And I go, um, I said, you know, we wouldn't know that you knew had they not taught it. I understand. I said, okay, I'll tell you where it's at. They go, no, you're going to show us where it's at. And so that's Cottonwood Road. And uh, God can do some marvelous things if you'll let him. Amen. What a rough, rough place. And, um, and God has blessed us all, hasn't he? I want to read one verse of Scripture this morning, uh, chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. I want to speak to you today on this thought, and that's the treasure is in the field. Can you say that with me this morning? The treasure is in the field. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us and bless the word to our hearts today. Father, we love you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the touch of God. Thank you for the revival. Thank you, Lord, for the strength. I thank you, Lord, for the offering. Uh, thank you for the touch of heart, these great people, and, and their love towards Sister Parker and I. We ask you to bless them and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Why don't you clap your hands real loud to the Lord as you're seated. Amen. Praise God. Now, if I quit preaching and just start talking about a revival, don't think anything about it. I'm excited about what's going on. And uh, I do have something I want to teach, preach this morning. And... Um, and I want to try to help you. How many wants to be helped today? Amen. How many needs to be helped? Amen. I need help. I want to win uh, this race. I want to finish. And really, that's what it's going to take to win. To be a winner is to finish. And um, it's really not to the swiftest but or nor to the strongest, but it's to those that endure to the end. Can you say Amen. Uh, the thought of this parable, I want to just talk a little bit in introduction about this parable. And uh, oftentimes, um, I've heard it preached many ways. Probably the most popular way uh, that I've heard this parable preached is that uh, the sinner, um, uh, the person working in the field is like a sinner in the world. And, uh, and they go along, they're, they're plowing with the plow. I preached it this way myself. And uh, the plow or whatever strikes an object or uh, they're digging or working in the field, they find some type of sign of, of, of maybe uh, something that could be hidden or buried. And uh, they dig around and they, they probe and they find uh, a treasure of some sort. And as the story, the parable develops, that 
that they, they look at the treasure and it's so great, but this is a hired hand. They don't own the field at this point. And, uh, and they go, they hide it back in the ground. And, and then they go and they sell everything they own. They go clean their house out. And this is applicable, and I think it fits in cases that some of us, when we find the joy of the Lord and what salvation really feels like, that it's certainly worth going and clean our whole house out if we need to, right? And selling everything, uh, even if it's our job, our career, anything that we had planned to do, or it, it's worth everything we can drag out to a yard sale or whatever and purchase this treasure. But when you begin to put the eyeglass on it and you start looking at it here, it, it falls apart quickly when you put it in that light. And, and, and you know, all Scripture is paradoxical, meaning that you can look at it from different angles and, and you can take one verse of Scripture and preach many sermons from it. You, know, you understand that? That it's, it, it's, it, you can just view it from many different angles. And it's not the art of twisting the scriptures, it's the art of seeing. Uh, it, this word is alive. It's more alive than anything in the world. And that's why the Bible is the greatest book that's ever been written. Nothing's ever been written that even compares. And not even a paragraph uh, that compares to the Bible in its entirety even. And so, but when you really look at it, it, it starts to fall apart. I, you know, some feel like, well, Jesus, uh, you know, when... Uh, Number one, if the sinner found Christ, the last thing he'd do is hide him again. You know, uh, this is where it falls apart quickly is because, and he doesn't have to purchase it. We know the Bible said, buy the truth and sell it not. But when it comes to salvation, it's to whomsoever will. It's not like you've got to go pay for this or you've got you to go bankrupt yourself to get salvation. <clears throat> contrary that the Lord said that even, you know, in a time of need, which is when we're in lots of times great distress, and when people find God, oftentimes they are broke. And they're on the bottom of the barrel. Sometimes that's where they need to be because the only way they can look is up. I don't know about you, but when I came to God, my power was shut off in my house. My car was in a neighbor's garage to keep from being repossessed. And, 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 and I don't even know if we had water on in the house. I can't remember. I know the electricity was off. What I was is I was a drug dealer, <coughs> excuse me, for being a drug dealer and the cough. But I was a drug dealer and I was, I was under conviction. I was trying to get back to God. I knew what truth was about, and I knew what the Holy Ghost was about, and I wanted to come back to God, and I had a desire to get back to Him. And in my own way, I was slowly repenting and getting things out of my life. And so, man, when a, when a drug dealer decides he wants to try to live for God, he immediately is unemployed, which shuts off the money. Can You, you know where I'm coming from? And, and some of you had to change jobs when you got the Holy Ghost. And that's all right. But it, as you see the parable, it, it, it begins to weaken uh, when looked through those lights and, and, and those eyes and, and, and many things can, can fall apart with it. I just want to talk to you a little bit today about what it means to me. And, and, and especially in the last year or so, uh, I have studied uh, so much on the field 
and, and, and on the work in the field. And uh, when it comes to revival and what the field is. Now, verse 38 tells us immediately that the field, or we are, as I've been preceded in, in the parable before, the field is the world. Everybody say the world. And so, um, yeah, we could still liken the treasure as finding salvation in the world. But, but, but the, the closer you look at it, it, it seems like the treasure really uh, is Jesus is the one that bought and paid for this thing. It was his blood that bought and paid for the treasure. Uh, and no doubt today, you could just look at it a different way. We, you and I are the treasures hidden in the world, hidden in the field. Remember where the scripture said in the Old Testament, he said, I, I, I dug you out of the flinty rock. And that uh, the, the scripture talks about in places how that God, when he brought his church out, he acts, it's like he chiseled them out of a rocky world. Remember the, the book of, of Ezekiel in the 36th chapter talks about that God taking a stony heart and making a heart of flesh, that, that he actually, you know, it's a hard world out there. The scripture said the way of the transgressor is hard. And, and so he, he, he takes us out of the field, and we know uh, this parable and other parables leading up to it, the field is referred to as the world. And so, you know, really a seeking sinner doesn't buy, as I said before, he forsakes the world. He doesn't go buy it when he's coming to God. So yeah, you can see this, uh, this parable uh, begging to be reexamined by a lot of us. And so I, wanna, I just want to place in your thinking this morning and ask you, could the treasure be actually you and I finding our place in the kingdom? Could the treasure, the real treasure in living for God, to me, is me knowing that I'm in the will of God? Um, Wendell Myers told me a long time ago, he said, Jesse, he said, I don't always know what the will of God is. But he said, it's suicide to get in my way if I find out, if I, if I discover it. And what he's saying to me, he said, you know, there's a lot of times I pray and I don't know exactly, I don't feel exactly what the will of God is in my life. How many times have you walked these aisles in the last few weeks and prayed and had different ideas of where maybe God wants to use you but not really know? Or even people that God might lead you to to, to bring them to salvation but you, you have to leave those doors open because oftentimes the kind of people that God wants to lead you to are not the ones you would think of. You have to stay really open-minded when it comes to soul winning and reaching out to people because it's usually the people that you want to go pray for are the last ones that are ready. And oftentimes God will use someone else. I mean, we want to see our kids and our parents and, and our friends, our best friends saved, but sometimes we're the last ones they're going to respond to. Merle Cornwell told this story, and um, I don't uh, know if I've spoke to you about him, but he is a man I've known for many years. Uh, I, I got in, uh, interested in him and his life and his ministry when we first got in church over 30 years ago. And uh, he was one that was big on teaching Search for Truth Bible studies, and we did the same, Sister Parker and I. And, 
And I think we were teaching Bible studies. There were maybe one or two other people in our whole church that had ever or even participated. And I don't think there was one Bible study uh, going on like that, home Bible study in our church. And a church about this size when we came back to Brother Terry's, maybe a little larger. But it wasn't long till we had five or six going a week. And uh, Brother Cornwell got a hold of some tapes, and he told uh, how that when he went, first went to Wichita, he, he, he set up to see... He was, they were supporting, he had friends that were supporting him. And he wanted to see how many people he could get baptized, an Acts 238 experience, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost in one year. And he got like 104 people uh, baptized and, and filled with the Holy Ghost in one year. But that's all he did. He did it like a job. He knocked doors. Uh, he carried that chart with him every day. And he worked it just like uh, a, a top salesman would work it, just got after it. And I've known other people to do the same. And uh, he had left a home in Florida and went to Wichita, Kansas to start a church. Or he maybe even took a small work. I don't remember how he got started. But uh, when he went, he went there, his mother, he tried and tried to get his mother to, uh, to come to church. And I, I think he's out of a Pensacola church, uh, Brother Welch's. And, and, and he's in Kansas about three years. And he gets a call from his mother. And his mother just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Brother Welch's church. And believe it or not, it was a young man that he had taught a Bible study to and one to God in Brother Welch's church that re- reached his mother. And he thought, you know, he talked to his mother on the phone, but mom wouldn't respond to son. And uh, it's tough. But that, that treasure, that treasure to me now, the treasure, the thrill in living for God is when I know I'm right where I need to be in the plan of God. And I feel like I'm not only know where I'm supposed to be, but I become functional. And I'm actually part of the revival. I'm part of the movement. And, 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 and I'm necessary. I'm a necessary cog in the wheel. You know, uh, you don't have to be a big piece to be an important piece. The scripture even tells us, and, and, and my pastor used to say often, that the most needful parts of the body are not comely, like a heart and a liver. You can do without an index finger, but you can't do without a liver. And uh, you can do without a beautiful face. Uh, some of us think we can't, but you can. Uh, you can function outside of a skinny body. Yes. The treasure to me is the joy in the field. Amen. You know, when you talk about the parable of the sower, some seed fell on the wayside, some fell on the rocky ground, some fell on the thorny ground, and some fell on good ground. But it is, when you look at good ground, you'll say, that's, that's a good field. You look at a farmer's field. And, and when you began to look at the world, you began to look at the people that you live around, the people that live by you, as a field of labor. Uh, you began to see it through, I believe, more Christ-like eyes. This is where we work. You know, there's many parables. Uh, 
in the Gospels that, that talk about a field and talk about labor and talk about the aspects of it. You know, the, the parable of the vineyard. And there's a parable of the householder. And I don't have time to get into these, but I'm just referring to you that our Bible students know. And even remember the rich ruler that uh, the night that he lost his life was the night that he looked out on his crops and his fields. And it was so plenteous, plenteous that he said to himself, the harvest that I have to harvest right now will not fit in my barns. And so his view and the way he was looking at this situation, he was looking at it going, I am so blessed, I am so rich, that I'm going to have to go out here and tear down my old barns and build new barns to make room for this harvest. And the Lord telling this parable, that displeased him so much that he called the man a fool and said to him, this night thy soul is required of thee. Someone else is going to reap your harvest. Someone else will build those barns. You understand that that attitude and that viewpoint sorely displeases the Lord. He never wants us, but Jackson, to get, no matter how blessed we are, he never wants us to get to the place where we go, man, I've made it. And that's what that guy was doing. You know that. He was rocking on his front porch or sitting in a chair looking or maybe riding a horse out through the fields. I don't know how he was looking it over, but in the situation that he was, he got to a place where he said, man, I've hit the big time. Or my name is in the marquee lights or I'm... And this can happen. You can get to a place where your desire in the kingdom is to be recognized or to have your name put up somewhere or to be somebody, and and, and that's normal. It's normal for any, especially a young man uh, that feels a call to preach or even young woman that feels a call into the ministry, wants to be married into the ministry, wants to be a part of that. You want to be successful. It, it, it would be foolish to think that you wouldn't. But when that becomes your treasure, when your treasure is, man, I got to, you know, pastor a church of so many people, or I got to have a certain position in the church. Brother pa- Parker has got to recognize me as being somebody here, and, and I want to be his right-hand man, or I want to be uh, right there, or I want to be on this board, or I want to be this kind of a teacher, or I want to be recognized as this kind of leader. And we have to have leaders. There are roles to fill, and there's leadership to be filled. I mean, we can't grow, we can't progress without leadership. You can't have church, not good church, without government. Hear me, a lot of people rare up with that, but you got to have government. you got to have somebody in a position that will say, okay, the buck stops here. We're not going to do that. I don't mind lots of opinions. The fact is I have a good time drinking coffee and iced tea and laughing about most of the opinions. So keep bringing them in. I like to hear them. And as some of these guys will tell you, there's the, the trivial stuff. I say, well, I say, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care, but I'm going to tell you something. What I'm preaching to you about right now, I care about the spirit of this church and the spirit of where we're going and the spirit that's going to drive us, I care about. Motivation. And, and you know, I told you the story about 
uh, these two bird hunting buddies of mine, and one of them was, they were going elk hunting up in Montana, and, and uh, they got tired. They were driving down the road, and one of them reaches around, grabs his pack, throws it in front of the pickup, and, and he's digging through it, and he pulls out this whole sack of pills, and he gets this whole circle of pills with one in the middle, and, he, and, 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 and Carl's Carl, Mike, Mike Weaver, and, and Carl uh, Thornton, and, and Mike's got all these pills, you know, and, 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 and he's going to take them all these vitamins and stuff, and I don't know what else is in there. I, I didn't ask for a definition, but they were telling me the story, and, and Carl looks at him and says, oh, you doing the pill thing? I can do pills. I can do pills. And he grabs his pack, and he pulls it up there, and he rips a bag of pills out of his back, and he's got all this big old circle of pills. Goes, yeah, look at, look at my pills. I've got them too. And Mike's looking at him, and he's got them put in a perfect circle. And then he goes, that one's for my liver, that one's for my heart, that one's for my lungs, that one's for my blood, that one's for my sugar. And he goes through his whole list, and he's got one right in the middle. And he said, what's that one? And Carl says, that's the motivator. <laughs> See, the reason why you responded, y'all know what the motivator pill is. It's the one that makes you feel good. You take all the rest to keep that one from killing you. Right? Right? I was on cocaine long enough to know all about that. You gotta you gotta eat sometimes to keep from dying. But you don't even want to. When you get on drugs bad enough, you don't even want to eat. But the point is you you have to force yourself. My point here is that a church and how it functions and how it lives and how it breathes, I care about. I care about what your treasure really is this morning. And I'm preaching to you about this because I want to remind you where the treasure should be and, and, and where your heart and why your heart should pump and, and what God wants it to pump for. If you're not careful, you can desire the wrong thing in Christ. You can get after the wrong, uh, a wrong position, a wrong place. Uh, ambition can get you in trouble. Look with me at, at Matthew chapter 20. I apologize. I think they said the filter was clean, but it's not working. Matthew chapter 20. How many brought their Bibles? And verse 20. Matthew 20 and 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on, thy, on the left, in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? And to be baptized of the baptism of I am baptized with. They say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Now you see, I think what he was trying to tell these men right here, he said, are you able? Are you tough enough? And James and John said, yeah, we're tough enough. Now, not just everybody can do that where the Lord can ask you, can you, can you take it? You know, be careful. 
if pastor says that you say, tell me what I need, pastor. Well, most times, you know, about 99 times out of 100, I'll tell you a little bit. But I'm not, I can't tell you the whole thing. <laughs> I don't want to hurt your feelings now after you gave me a nice offering. You know what I'm saying? When you say, tell it to me straight. I can't tell you how many young men and even aged men have come up to me and said, now, if you ever see me get out of line, I have confidence in you. Tell me. And then in a nice way, in a conversation where we're just having a good time, I try to hint around, Brother Brad, about something. And, and they act like they don't even know what I'm talking about. I've been really nice about it. And it was going off their back like water off a duck's back. And so I said, boy, I wonder what kind of reaction I'd get if I really told them like they told me to tell them. I've even had guys say, hit me upside the head. Well, I'll tell you what, I've seen them in such a shape that if I hit them, I'd have to stand back and take, take a defensive position. But there was a time they said, they prayed through and said, just bust me. Well, James and John, he told him, he said, you guys said, we'll see if you're tough enough. He said, because you're going to get, you're going to get what you asked for as far as the baptism. You're going to get the baptism. You're going to get the cup. You're going to drink from the cup and you're going to get the baptism. The fire is going to come. But now when it comes to sitting right here and sitting right here, that's yet to see. No doubt someone's going to sit there, all right? But when I read my Bible, there's a lot of surprises on payday. There's a lot of people got surprised on when they, the, the, they went to the, those that, that hired to work in the vineyard, in the field. And, and on payday, uh, they hired out those that came in the first hour and, and hired for a penny. And they were happy with their wages. And then people came on throughout the day. You know the story. And some came at the 11th hour. And the 11th hour workers were hired for the same price. And, and so when it came to getting paid, they were thinking they're going to get more than what they were agreed to work for. And some of us, I'm sure, will be surprised when we get to heaven and we stand before our maker and, 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 and the rewards are handed out. Because there will be nobody paid for something they didn't do. There will be no false rewards. There will be no hidden things. And, and it will be payment from the heart. Listen to what he goes on and says here. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against their two brothers. Number one, if you get zealous and you get ambitious in the wrong way, the first thing you're going to do is make the whole rest of the church mad at you. Are you with me? You're going to get a bunch of people that don't like you. And you can get the attitude, well, at least I'm getting something done. Yeah, you are. But you might be building a little wall right here, but you might be tearing down a tower over here. You following me? Because everything that we do and everything that we get involved in it affects everybody in some kind of way that's in the same body, that's in the same family. 
you can see here, James and John were great guys. Their names are throughout the book. Can you say amen? I mean, I'd trade places with either one of them right now, okay? And they stood the test of, 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 of giving their lives. They stood the test of the message and, and to the end of their lives. They proved it into the end. And, and history tells us hindsight's always twenty twenty. And, and so, you know, I can look at those guys and say, hey, but this was a mistake. And, and Jesus told them this is a mistake. And the word said that the other ten were upset at him for talking like that. Because they were speaking out of place. Jesus called unto them and said, You know not the prince, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are of great that are great exercise authority upon them. How many of you know that the Gentiles are talking about just people in the world? All right, that's what the reference was to. And he said, Did you know that the princes of the Gentiles they exercise authority? That whether it's the army or it's the police department. Or if it's just your landlord. Okay? When it's talking about a prince, it's talking about somebody that's over you. It could be your boss at work. And, and, and I, I like McDonald's. I ate breakfast there this morning. or got my breakfast from there this morning. But you can be, you can be the person that works the counter at McDonald's, and you're still going to answer you got a boss there. Somebody's going to tell you when you didn't put the right top on the right hamburger. And they're going to correct you until you get it right or you'll be down the road. And, and there's somebody already, there's applications stacked up in the back room there for somebody to fill your spot. So no matter where you're at in life, there's always somebody that's going to tell you what to do. That's just one of the things you young men all have to learn is you're going to have to say, yes, sir, or, or, or yes, or, 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 or yes, I, I will do that. You get these young men, they start growing up and they get a little bit of hair under their arms. They think they're tough. I think they're the first one to ever groom it. They get in front of the mirror. Justin's got that look on his face like he's going to tell something now. But anyway, I'm going to pass on you, Justin. But they make discoveries, and, and, and they think they're tough. And, and, and they think they know how to run life, and they think they can tell mom and dad how to run the house. And, and they can tell them just what we're doing wrong. The, the Gentiles love to exercise dominion. And so your flesh, your fleshly side, you love to boss people around. You're bossy. I'm bossy. It's hard to be a preacher and not be bossy. I'll tell you, 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 you know. Right? It really is. I mean, it's, it's difficult for God. I can't see hardly God calling a real passive person like A young man handed me my glass tea through the window at the restaurant today. Thank you. Okay. Glad this has got a lid on it. Pushed me to the limit there. It's not going to happen as a leader. You follow me? And so there is in our flesh, right, Alan? There is in our flesh a desire Say, look, I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, so just do it. Just, Hey, it's amazing how many people would live for God and do good if they'd just listen. Just let us tell them how to do it. 
But I found out it doesn't work that way because indignation gets, rises up when someone says, hey, I can tell you how to do this. There's five or six others who say, well, I know a better way. And so the treasure you see, we're speaking this morning about the treasures in the field. And the field is the world. And when you get to a place where you become effective in your world, you found the treasure. You're really not effective. Anybody can be given a job and, and they say, okay, you're over these five guys. And, uh, you know, you, you, you outwork three or four guys. They say, okay, you're the boss. You're over these five guys. And if you're not careful, you'll come back a week or so later, and that guy be sitting in the pickup, the one that was such a hard worker. He's sitting in the pickup talking on the phone while the other four guys are working. He becomes a candidate for a state job. But Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And one other, one other place it said, he that is greatest among you is a servant to all. And so in the house of God, it's not like a bunch of Gentiles. It's not like out in the world. It's not like on a logging job or, or a painting job or a plumbing job or an electrical job or down here running the train. In the house of God, the greatest serves everybody. And so he was telling James and John, you want to sit on my right hand? I'm going to tell you who's going to sit on my right and left hand. Whoever serves more than everybody else. God said, you want to know who's closest to me? I'll tell you who's closest to me. The one that serves the most variety of people. That's who's closest to me. God says, you want to know where my heart's at? You want to know where the treasure? You want to dip your fingers into the treasure chest of the kingdom of God? It's in servitude, my friend. And you're thinking, I wasn't thinking of that kind of treasure. And that's why so many people put their money in bags with holes in it and trying to hold on to things. It's like trying to grip sand, dry sand in your hands. You can't seem to hold on to it. It's leaking out between the cracks of your fingers. And life seems like that to you because you can't really get a hold of something. It's always getting away from you. It's because your desires are in the wrong places. You see, the field, if the field being the world and the treasure that's in the field and what he's saying here, they, they, these guys wanted to excel. These, Christ wasn't making mistakes when he want, went and chose these men. He handpicked these men. He handpicked James and John along with Peter and Andrew and, and Matthew and, and the rest of them. He handpicked all of them. And, and when you even get down to Judas... If you want to know what I really think, Judas had tremendous ability. He just blew it. And the difference between Peter and Judas on the day of the crucifixion was very, very small. The actual difference where, where Judas went and killed himself and where Peter broke down 
looking at Jesus from afar off and began to weep and repent, I'm going to tell you something. It's not very wide. It's very close. And it's all in the heart and how and what you desire. What your motivator is. I'm going to tell you something. It's like I, I've built my own home. I've built a few. I've built buildings around here and worked on little projects and big projects. And, and I really like doing it. But I never have, even in building my own house to live in, I never have got to the place where I sat down in it and go, huh, I'm done. Well, I really did something. And I'm going to tell you honestly, honestly, and my wife knows this is true, when I started building it, I, we, I was building it, you know, I, was, uh, I had uh, skills with chainsaws and, uh, and moving logs and things. I was, I'm a logger. I was a logger. I was a tree topper. And so I had skills there that, that uh, I couldn't have just went and built a stick frame home. I mean, I guess I could have. And, and when I tell people that, I tell carpenters that, they laugh at me. And I told Bill Davies, uh, one time I got him over, I said, hey, I want you to help me, uh, you know, plan for some cabinets for my house. I want to build some cabinets. And kind of told him how I wanted to build them. And he goes, you just build them, Jess. And I go, I don't know how to build cabinets, Bill. And he looked at me and started laughing. And he said, if you built this house, you can build cabinets easily. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, really. The cabinets are much easier than what you built here. And it just gave me the confidence to go on and do it. And, of course, Mert helped me, who was another retired logger. Uh, you know, my house it is built by a bunch of broke-down old loggers. And our friends that helped, and, I mean, many of you helped me on it. And I think you know... The last thing I had in mind was anything that looked fancy or nice or like a lodge or that looked extravagant in any shape, way, or form. I never had any plans like that. My plans are drawn on a piece of graph paper that you buy at the dime store. Someone was asking me the other day, who designed this? Or they were asking me about this building, who designed this? We sketched it out on a piece of paper and ordered a metal building. That's where we started. And then once we got the metal structure up, we thought, oh, it'd be nice to have some rooms over here, some rooms over there. That's the way we build things, okay? So it isn't like we got this master plan and then get the money and the people and put them all to work and do it and sit back and go, woo, look what I did. What I'm trying to tell you is my joy. The joy I've had in getting where I'm at today has been in the job. It's been in the doing of it. You see, the real joy I had in building my own house is when I was building it, not after it was built. Because when it gets built, I say, well, what do we got to do next? I'm looking for the next project. I was just born to work. And it's in my blood to work. And so once the job's done, I'm looking for the next job. And what I'm trying to get in your head this morning is living for God. And the treasure that God wants you to see is not where you think you may end up someday. The joy and the treasure is in the job. It's having something to do. It's, it's, it's knowing what you're supposed to do right now. It's Bible study one, Bible study two, Bible study three. It's prayer meeting on, uh, on this night and prayer meeting on that night. And, and when it's time to sing this expression, be a part of that. The whole church revival, it, I mean, it, it becomes the sum of all of these things that are working. 
And the joy isn't at the end going, yeah, I was this, and I was a Sunday school superintendent, and I, I was this leader, I was that leader. The joy is in the working of it. Now think about the parable of the 11th hour workers. I mentioned it enough. Uh, I could take you to the reference. It's, It's not really necessary, but think about that just for a minute. Some people come in on the first part of the day, six o'clock in the morning. I don't know what they call it. I think that's the first hour of the day. Could have been nine o'clock, but I think it's six, but whatever they, you want to reference it. And the owner of the vineyard said, uh, I'll hire you for a penny a day. Those were good wages then. And everybody, nobody argued about the price. Oh, yeah, yeah, I need a job. And they went to work. And they were going to work all day for that penny. People came in a couple hours later and, and met the boss, went up to the boss. The boss said, he said, will you work in my field? Yeah. Uh, for the rest of the day, yeah, how much? I'll pay you a penny. And so they get out in the field, and they're fresh, and the guy's been working there a couple hours. Say, hey, how much did you hire on for? He goes, penny? Well, that's what we hired on for two hours ago. And throughout the whole day, that happens. And it gets to the 11th hour. And, and the 11th hour workers, this is the last hour of the day. There's one hour to work. And they come to the table, meet the boss, and ask the boss, what's to pay? And the boss says, penny. And they go, wow, that's good pay for just an hour's work left today. And so they hire on. And they come out into the field. And those that have, have labored all day long, you know, find out these 11th hour workers are getting paid the same thing. We've been working already 10 hours a day or 11 hours a day. And these guys come in for the last hour getting the same pay. And they start complaining. And so when they went and collected their pay, when they were hired on, they were happy with their pay. But when they come to collect for their pay, they said, but we, we bore the heat of the day. We, we were here throughout the whole day, and these others come in at 11. At the end of the day, you're paying them the same amount. Well, the owner said to him, said, isn't this what I, isn't, wasn't this our deal? And they go, yeah, but man, you know what they were wanting to say? Doesn't seem fair. I don't know if you get the picture what I'm trying to tell you this morning, but I'm going to tell you what the deal is. The joy, my friend, is not in the payment. You see, I left the church as a 13-year-old boy and came back as a 25-year-old man. I thought I was a man. I wasn't much of one. But I came back, started serving God at 25 years old. And I can remember at 27 and 28 thinking... And I wasted some premium years. And we thought the Lord was coming any day then. I can remember one of my good friends, a guy I shot world-class skeet with, saying to me, Jess, tell me honestly, Fritz Ralph, he said, when do you think the Lord's going to come back? And I can remember teaching him a Bible study in his house. It's the first year I was in church. And I said, Fritz, I cannot see how it can be longer than three years. He's got to come within three years. Just everything I look at the Bible, this was 32 years ago, 31 years ago. And so now you see I could be a second or third hour worker. I could could be, I've been doing this over 30 years. And it it becomes a, a situation of perspective. 
I've seen people go in and out of the house of God and fall away from God and come back to God. And, and, and they come back because they're worried. I'm not going to get my coin. I'm not going to get paid. And, and, and they think that they're fortunate if they make it on the 11th hour. And you are fortunate if you make it on the 11th hour. But I've got news for you. Not nearly as fortunate as me. Because the longer I live for God, and the more years I log in the logbook of serving God, the stronger I become, and the more useful my life has become. I look at my life like, you know what? Thank God it was only a few years I wasted, Brother Wesley. There was a time when I was 30 years old that I had come into the church, and my wife can tell you I couldn't get to the pulpit and preach without weeping. I couldn't read my text. Some of you that were here in the early years remember the first five or six years, I couldn't read a text and not start crying like a baby because I thought of the wasted years and the wasted time that I spent in the world. But you can see it becomes more of a distant memory. It becomes more faded now as I get further and further away from wasted years. And I log one after another solid. You see, the joy, the treasure is in the working of it. The treasure in the field is that I found my place. You know, I came to a little town like LeGrand. I didn't have any competition. Nobody else wanted to be here. So, hey, I didn't have to worry about anybody wanting my job. That's a great place to start. You say, I want to do something. I want to have a position in the church. We'll just start at the bottom. The greatest, probably most spiritual man in the Old Testament was King David. And he said, if I could just be what? The doormat? I could just be the guy that opens the door. Give me the key, Pastor. I'll make sure the door is open a half hour before anybody gets here. I'll make sure the prayer rooms, I'll make sure the garbage is picked up off the parking lot. I'll make sure it's swept clean. Just, I'm telling you, the doing of it, the working of living for God is so much more important than where you, where, you know, you live for God, we're all going to end up saved. A testimony will make you overcome. Hear me? The Bible said they were overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Where do you get a testimony? Being on the job. The working of it. One of the funnest times of our adult life, at least for me, I'm not certain with my wife, but I think she would agree on the funnest times. And I look back in my life now, and I see people that have lived for God for 20, 30 years. I see all these lucky me boys, and, and I can remember teaching Bible studies at your house when you guys were in diapers. Where I don't even know if you guys were all born. I don't know if you weren't even born, but Jason was in diapers. When I went to their house, and their mom fixed me brown blondies, brownies, blonde brownies. And I threw a, I'm talking, be careful about her fixing me a blonde up. <laughs> but the work of it, 
I see them down here working in the school and working at this church and God working in their lives and their sister and, and these matters kids and some of the early, and, and, and forgive me if I'm naming names and I leave somebody out, but you know what I'm saying. The early ones, the ones, I, I saw Penny talking to Jason a while ago and I said, you two know each other? Believe it or not, that, that she had the Holy Ghost at our church, I think Jason was a baby. She's Jason's aunt. For some of you that don't know, Penny back there is Jason and these boys' aunt. She's a sister to their mother. But I remember when they came in as two lost girls, didn't have any idea which end was up. And God was dealing with them and teaching Bible studies and going to their homes and teaching, carrying search for truth into their home. I'm you, when I look at, at living for God, to me, that's the joy. That's the treasure to me. That God allowed me to be a part of that. He allowed me to get my hands on it and, and be a part of it. You can't get involved in anything better in the house of God than reaching out and winning souls and being part of what's going on. I want to close this morning with uh, the parable of uh, the two sons. I like this parable. One of the things I really like about it is my mom always thought it was dumb. And she used to tease about Brother Terry talking about it all the time. I got the revelation of it one day, and I realized, you know, poor mama, she lived for God for 50-something years. She never got this revelation. But in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, it said, But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but went not. So he's got two boys, and he tells them both, go out and get to work in the field. And one of them said, okay, Dad. Went and got in his car and went to town. And the other one said, I don't feel like it. I don't believe I will. But on the way to his car, he got thinking, well, I feel sorry for the old man. And, you know, I shouldn't have talked to him like that. And I shouldn't have acted like that. And maybe kicked the can out of the way and went and picked up his shovel and headed to the field. The Lord gives this parable, and he says this. He says, uh, Whither of the twain did the will of his father? They say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterward that you might believe him. And so the Lord just telling them, you know, this is really the way it is. That you go and you tell this gospel, you preach this gospel, and some people just bow their neck up and say, man, he's asking too much. And they come back and hear a little bit more, come back and hear a little bit more. The first three or four times I came to church, when we got in our car in the parking lot, I looked at my wife and I said, I won't be back. 
And the first two or three times I reached into the ashtray and pulled out a marijuana cigarette and lit it up before I got out of the parking lot. And I told my wife, I won't be back. He makes me so mad. In fact, it's the second or third time Brother Terry chased me all the way out in the parking lot. And before I left that day, I was standing on his toes with my fist clenched in his face. He came up and rapped on the side of the window of the car and said, I thought you was a man. And I hit him with that door and knocked him from me to you. And when he stopped running backwards, I was standing on his toes and I had my fist right in his face. I said, you want me to show you I'm a man? He goes, no, no, no. And I said, okay, you go in your church and be a good little boy and I'm going to leave and you'll never see my face again. That's what I told him in the parking lot. That was on Sunday morning. On Thursday night, I was right back at the church. And somebody told Brother Terry, Jesse's here. And so here he comes, big old bull he was. And I'm looking kind of out of the corner of my eye, and here he comes through the foyer. And I look up, he said, I thought you said you wasn't coming back. And I looked at him, I put my hands up, I go, take it easy on me, okay? And he just stopped just like he ran into a brick wall. And he said, okay. He turned around and walked off and, and preached his guts out to me. And to the altar I came. And it wasn't long till I was up behind the sacred desk. I mean, within six months. But you see the joy. If you asked I.H. Terry, he wouldn't say, you know, he gets joy. I'm sure if he could be here today and see what we're doing, he'd be thrilled. But the joy was in in the challenge, was in the saying the right thing and God using him to move me. He loved to tell this story about this guy and it, it, it's a story that's off of this parable. I want you to stand this morning and musicians, if there's a piano player, maybe Luke come and play some music or something. There was this boy that came home from college. His, he was raised in the South and and he was a young man in his 20s. He came home from college and uh, brought two or three of his buddies. He had called home and asked his dad, uh, can I bring a couple of my friends with me? And the dad said, well, sure, you got things. And, all, you know, there's some things I want you to take care of while you're here. Like, it's not going to be all play. There's some work to be done. And the boy said, okay, dad, I just, you know. So they get home. And uh, the boys are pretty impressed, you know. It's a huge place. His dad was the largest sugarcane farmer in miles and miles around there. And the big sugar factory across the road down there belonged to them. And hundreds of employees that worked on this ranch and farm and factory. And, uh, and of course, his college-going son was home with his friends. And they stayed up late the first night and kicked around in the bedroom in the house and ate up all the goodies mom and the servants had all kinds of food for them and so they just they were living it up man it's like not a frat house but they're back at the plantation the big ranch and and they're enjoying the the wealth really of the dad and the dad that told him said, you know, in the morning I want you to go out and do thus and thus and check on so and so. And he had his son home and he wanted to make sure that 
the hired hands and, and the foreman and the people like that knew the son was there and that the son was, yeah, going to college, but he still had a little bit of interest in the sugar farm. And uh, he didn't get out of bed at the hour appointed. So Pops came up into the bedroom and they're all sleeping and kicked the son out of bed got a hold of him, started telling him what for. The other boys heard the commotion going on. And the old man, I mean, dresses him down right in front of all of his friends. Just dressed him down. And for you that don't know what that means, chewed him out. Made him feel like a little kid. And uh, he just went. Didn't say anything. Yes, sir, just went. Grabbed his stuff, went out, was taking care of what his dad told him to do and the other young men his friends you know kind of scattered around they didn't know if they should leave you know those situations some of you have been to my house when it's like that haven't you and you don't know what to do you feel nervous uh, the boss is upset who knows what's going on and they got their stuff and they went out to help they, they found the buddy and they're helping and they're helping him get what he had to get done done and comes a little time of respite there and one of them looked at the boss's son and said you know I heard what your dad said and how he talked to you this morning and said, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't take that. And the young man ignored him and something else was said, this was said, and one of the other ones said, yeah, that was kind of, dad's kind of harsh, wasn't he? Finally, the young man stopped him and said, let me, let me tell you guys something. He said, you see all that sugar cane out there? And they said, yeah, I said, that belongs to my dad. That's my dad's sugarcane fields. They're kind of going, okay. So you see that sugar factory down the road there puffing smoke? Got a hundred and something employees in it. They said, yeah. I said, that belongs to my dad. I said, I'm my dad's only son. And this is all going to be mine someday. So I think I will take that correction. You see, when it comes to serving God, you're going to face correction. You're going to face tough times. He said, can you? Can you drink of the cup? Can you take the baptism? And the boys said, yes, we can. And they didn't say it out of order. They did it. But there is, there is a challenge there. Well, I'm telling you, I, I know I had lots of friends. If they saw Brother Terry, he got me up on a Sunday night one time. I'll tell you what I'd done. I went out to play basketball with some of the guys. I'd been in church two or three months. I offered to give somebody a whipping. Can you imagine that? And he's a guy 10 or 15 years older than me. He's a licensed preacher. But he was ready to go. Alvin Wilson. It's really funny. Brother Terry heard about it. And the other guy was a licensed preacher. Brother Terry never said one word to him. But he waits till he gets to preaching. He goes, come here, Jess. I thought, oh, I got to be part of his sermon tonight. He said, stand right here. He got a hold of my arm. He said, look at this guy, church. This guy's a hothead. 
said, he'll beat you up if you make him mad on a Sunday night. Thank you. He said, he won't just threaten you. Brother Terry knows me all my life. He said, he'll do it. He'll punch you out. And Joe could tell you Alvin Wilson would have went. I mean, he's not a guy that would back down. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bully picking on a, a timid person. It was two bullies ready to throw down on the basketball court. But Brother Terry, he dressed me down. You know, the other guy, he was long past his prime. Yes, he was at the time he was a licensed minister, but he knew he was never going to go do anything. And Brother Terry never said one word that I know of publicly ever to the other guy. You know what he was concerned with? He was concerned with the young guy that was still pliable, that was still looking, where, where can I work? Where can God use me? And I began to realize, you know what? I came so close to blowing it with the old man, with the pastor. And yeah, I can take this dressing down. I smiled. I held my shoulders square. I took my medicine and licked the spoon. Told Brother Terry, you're right. I'll do better next time, Brother Terry. And he looked at me and said, I know you will. Because you don't want this, you don't want a repeat performance of this. Right? That's the deal. I'd far rather you rear up and say, don't push me here. I don't feel like it. I'm not sure. I'm not ready. But come back and sit on the pew and listen to the preacher. Amen. It's the person, I'll tell you, the person that'll say, yeah, I'll do it. I'll live for God. And the next service, they're not even there. If you knew, if you knew how important it was to James Wesley and Jesse Ray for everybody that walks through the door. You know, you guys think we're up here talking? You think we're just like telling jokes and stuff? Let me give you a little bit of insight. I'm saying to him, did you see who just walked in? Sinner just walked in, boy, get ready. I'm going to throw you the ball. I want you to make a touchdown. You know what he's saying to me? Got a lot of sinners here today. Got a lot of sinners here. You know why we think like that? Because our treasure is in the doing of the work. It's in the job. It's in preaching is just a vehicle. The preaching what we're doing and, and the preaching part of what we do is, is, is simply, it's just kind of it's a way of convincing you to do what you already know you should do. Amen. Anybody feel like praying this morning? Amen. Why don't we gather around this front and ask God, God I want my treasure in the right place, God. Amen. Nobody knows where you're at like God knows where you're at. You got to make up your mind, God, I'm not going to hold back on you. God, I'm going to give it to you. God, I want my motivation right, God. I'll work for you. 
I want my desire in the right place, God. I want you to touch us, God. I want you to use me, Lord. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Right. Raise your hands to him, God. Take these hands, God. Oh, take this heart, God. Take this mouth, God. Oh, I want you to use me, God. I want you to use me, Jesus. Even though it's humble, Lord, help Tell him, use me, Lord. Oh, no, no, refuse me. Want you to use me, God. Surely there's a work Touch me that this morning, I Lord. can do. Even though it's humble, Lord, help my Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. Though the cost be great. I'll work for you. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Even though it's humble. Lord, help my will to crumble. Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Oh, Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Be great, I'll work for you. Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work that I can do. Be great, I'll work for you. 
Jesus, use me. Oh, Lord, refuse me. While the Holy Ghost is moving, why don't we all just lift our hands and say, Here I am, Lord. <laughs> Come on, while the Holy Ghost is dealing with all of us, would you do that? Would you just lift your hands and say, Here I am. <laughs> Ooh, here I am, here I am, here I am. <laughs> Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. From the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul, yes, Lord, completely, yes, my soul says yes. 